Go. Hello, and welcome to another episode, or 14th episode, of Empathic Futures Labs, the show about... Oh, I can't remember our intro line. The show, <laughs> the show about human-focused futures for the environment in which we live. Um, so yeah, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And uh, today we have an interesting topic, I think. Um, but today's topic, we're really focusing on the the business model of architecture, because we know so much about that. Um, but, you know, kind of off the cuff. Uh, ideas and ways in which different organizations are approaching it now, um, sort of like WeWork and Sidewalk Labs, and there's there's different uh, like retail organizations that they will basically aggregate together uh, a lot of different retail uh, storefronts and then you know, look you know rent those out on a a week by week or month basis to different to different businesses and um, and they take on the uh, the priority of designing those spaces as well. So there's um, there's that and there's more historic example that I think we'll get into uh, and how the business of architecture might become something that's more profitable or or has a, this ability to scale. I think beyond uh, really how how it works right now which is the client-focused architectural business. Everything should be client-focused, right? Well, I, when I say client-focused, I think I mean more along the lines that you're designing one product for one client. Oh, I see. At one time versus, you know, an idea of how you can start distributing that and growing and scaling that. Gotcha. Uh, is there and is there the possibility to do that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I I think the only thing I want to add to that is hopefully, even though we're not necessarily businessmen in the architecture field, maybe that's a good thing that we're not so far into it that we're kind of entrenched in the status quo and 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 we have a little more open mind to possibilities that will benefit. I mean, benefit the future of the profession, maybe not just architecture, but uh, more design fields than that. And then also we kind of have our own personal stake in that as well. And uh, hopefully we'll be successful in the future. Not that we aren't successful now, but, you know, scaling yeah. that again. Okay. Um, yeah. So how did you, I, you had some things you wanted to start off the topic with since this was sort of your uh, baby a little bit. Let's see what. Right. So I think. For us, we kind of shoehorned one other topic that we were looking at into this topic of, of business because kind of felt that it fit the the idea of um, of how you take something that's like a design practice and scale it to be you know more than just the designing of envelopes or something. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. um, and so that that started with this this video that we watched, which uh, I suppose we should link. Yeah, we'll have it in the show notes. We'll have it. It was this. It was by Sidewalk Labs. It was called Sidewalk Talk. Right. It's one of their. It's one of a few in a series of Sidewalk Talks that Sidewalk Labs holds in New York. I think maybe Toronto now too. Yeah, possibly. I guess. Um, but they had a couple different people there that had been working on what are sort of like retail startups. I guess you could say. So they. They look, they go around, they, they each have their own different business model, but they sort of collect these, these retail storefronts. Um, maybe they take on the, the, the longer lease, um, but they set up this organization and they work on the design of these interior spaces 
and lease them out on, you know, to smaller startups on like a month by month or week by week basis so that they can kind of get their feet on the ground and, you know, get rolling on a project instead of like having to sign a year long lease. And I thought that was, I guess, interesting as, as a practice. And, you know, that sort of works in line, I think, along the same lines as how we work works and and how they they're taking not only the management of buildings but also you know the design of them on which which I think is a really important uh, consideration to make when we're trying to do architecture at scale right and, and I, then right I, I was gonna say I think a lot of this conversation I don't know exactly how it was initially brought up but it seemed like they were building off of something that they had written on their blog, their sidewalk labs, uh, sidewalk talk blog, um, about five scenarios for the future of retail, right? So basically they're examining uh, as technology progresses and as our understanding of how cities and and vibrant street lives, um, how we understand those better as that knowledge progresses, um, what kind of scenarios can we imagine for the future, or at least what kind of futures are we progressing towards? And they provide five different kind of right. design fiction writings that that spark this conversation. And I think that's part of how they chose the panelists right. um, for right. this event. Yeah, um, that's an important uh, note to make as well, is that these these panelists were active, I think, in those design fiction right. creation. Yeah, I don't... I don't know how much they were active or if that was Sidewalk Talk, but or okay. Sidewalk Labs. Only. But I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain they were intentional about choosing who they chose yeah. to fit this sort of conversation and people with expertise in, in new sorts of retail leasing models or retail store models moving forward. Yeah, so what what really struck me about that and, and then the WeWork um model and then the sidewalk labs model for for the, this whole district in toronto was this was the scale in which they're interacting with um with design and, and how they are you know and administrating but also designing these spaces at the same time right and that, that really got me thinking about this notion of megastructure and and how they're 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 really working like specifically in the toronto example of sidewalk labs not at the the design of an individual building, but really along this lines of like the '60s and '70s idea of designing at the scale of infrastructure, and you know, and that that's sort of been called megastructure um, when when you're when you're designing something at that scale, uh, at least for people to occupy. So that's that's something that really started, I guess, stirring some thoughts for me, and you know, I can. I can continue down down this path and divulge into Archigram, but I don't know if you have any any because I, I do want to, but I don't know if you have anything well, you want. To add. I, I guess my question with this is if we're getting into the future of the future of how architecture works and, and how the business of architecture works, where what exactly or how do you see this leading in terms of your thoughts on megaforms? Like where where is this going in terms of business models? So that's. The thing, yeah, I think the the thing with megastructure and and the notion of infrastructure is that it's a public good, right? It's something it, for infrastructure at least, it's it's a public good. It's something that often it works <clears throat> with uh, with public access and public money uh, with some amount of private investment. <clears throat> but when I think 
when we consider that in terms of architecture, so often we're just working for one entity, right? One individual entity. But if you, if you like, in the case of Sidewalk Labs in Toronto, if you come in as a private entity with funds, and you are the one, you are the client in this situation. You're the person that's bringing the money to to the table, or the person that's aggregating all those all those money sources. And you come you come to a public uh, municipality or something, and you know are proposing some you know crazy awesome development uh, that sort of works at this at the scale of the district or the city or whatever. And all they have to do is you know institute some nominal. Uh, sales tax or whatever to really make this happen you know you can sell the idea of of it being you know compelling and how it can impact the environment and I think that might be how the business model could continue could could move forward okay well okay so I think there's a lot to unpack here um, yeah there's in that yeah, uh, I guess I kind of didn't want to get into that just yet but. right okay well I think maybe we do I don't I don't mind starting with the sidewalk clamps thing I think you know they're and they're super ambitious with what they're trying to do, right? And and it's new, and they don't really have, they don't really have it figured out. They don't know beyond this kind of ambitious goal. They don't really know how they're going to get there, right? They they won this RFP to redesign this area of Toronto. Request for proposals for those of you not familiar with that, and and now they're they're moving forward with that with the blessing of the city of Toronto. Um, but okay, so that leads to the question of like how 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 does Sidewalk Labs make money off of something like this, right? If this is going to be some sort of business model, yeah, it's really fascinating that. Uh, well, the sidewalks. Well, what is what is Sidewalk Labs in the business for? So they're going to build this district, and you know it's a smart district, quote unquote. But what that what that entails is that it's totally censored up, and they're going to have what you can consider invaluable almost unique information about, you know, a diverse range of networks and, and how they interact together within a real world right. uh, district. And, you know, I, I think that's something that's going to be extremely valuable to them. Right. But I think at least to this extent so far, and especially with the recent political things having to do with Facebook, Really, the only way that people have figured out how to make money on personal information at this kind of public scale has been through advertising, right? Um, but right. Sidewalk Labs has already come out and said that they don't want to do advertising, and they also want to have some sort of designed privatization, um, right, uh, of, of data, where they're sort of working privacy into the design as opposed to maybe some of these things like Twitter or Facebook or Google came along before that was such a huge issue and maybe they didn't think about that until more recently right. um so it'll be interesting i think to see where where sidewalk labs goes in terms of making revenue because as with so many of these things right i'm super excited about what is actually going on but like it has to be sustainable economically otherwise either they're completely living off of government money to build this which is probably not a great revenue source or or they're just sort of a philanthropic like entity under Google. Well, I mean, it's not unreasonable to think that they'll be getting some sort of development money. Oh, I'm sure that the RFP that they won came with a monetary incentive. Otherwise, all these other private firms wouldn't have right. submitted. Right. So a I mean, they're probably either. you're like you build this, you get to you know own or you know 
uh, you get to make whatever percentage off right. of off of the profits of 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 this. But approaching it from a sidewalk labs perspective, the idea that it's only uh, information has only ever been used for advertisement. But that's that's mostly been in the digital realm. Right. Um, when you bring that, when you bring all that, sort of have this um, uh, eminent domain, like tabula rasa, right, of of this brand new neighborhood, you've taken everything over and just you know are flattening it. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that what the digital world was? It was a tabula rasa in a sense. Anyway. Yeah, but when when you have that in the physical world, then you know they're gonna they're gonna have the opportunity to actually start doing some of these things that we've been talking about and and how you can curate experiences for an individual you know at that end for at that time right right and whenever they're experiencing it and to have to be able to do that within the space you know so you know what's going on but then you can also manipulate what's going on and then you know is there just some sort of subscription service you know, as this idea that we've thrown out before that evolves out of that. Right, right. Well, that could be, I think that could, that could be something, right? Um, that New York Times article on Sidewalk Lab sort of suggested paying for services. And I think to a certain extent, maybe that was suggested at the landlord level of paying for uh, Sidewalk Labs' automation of, I don't know, sewage treatment or garbage or whatever to kind of sure. let, let that flow more efficiently. But I think... I like this idea that you bring up of subscription services. Can we as individuals start to subscribe to the physical world in a sense and get certain things? If we want to release data about ourselves to get a better commute, we can do that. If we're okay with it doing the old fashioned way, then we can do that too. Yeah. Yeah. So all that really ties back to, I think, I think Archigram is, is a really good point to bring up here as um, specifically like Plugin City and Instant City um, and talking about how people engage. Well, let's talk about Plugin City first, which talks about how people sort of take their their personal home environment and it's it's given form in, in Plugin City, I think is a... Uh, like a pod, basically. How how you can take that 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 form, your personal environment, and put that into this infrastructure anywhere, and have it you know be the same thing as as a form, but every time you place it in somewhere else, it, it changes a little. It, it responds uh, to the environment around it, uh, as each each person sort of has their own unique identity, and they're all plugging into this infrastructural system. Mm-hmm. And one of the criticisms that Archigram gets is about how their work is seen as inhumane. But you know, if if you read in deep enough into the work, you can see that it's it's really it's always geared towards the human experience, you know, regardless of how how the image is is rendered. A plugin city is often rendered at this. I think all the images are really at the scale of the the infrastructure. But that's that's just that's just the armature that allows it to happen. Uh-huh. Allows allows the system to happen. So I gave this talk lecture thing to my to the 374 studio, and That's it was a, about program. And I think that the the Archigram Instant City thing that I was talking about there, and this idea of personalized environments as an opportunity for like an architectural business model, 
um, whether you're designing for individuals, whether you're designing for a business, whether you're designing for individuals starting a business, in the case of WeWork, um, or whether you're designing a district with all of these things sort of combined. And I think what's really happening is the scale of program adjacency and like intimacy to you is becoming in increasingly intimate. So maybe before modernism was very concerned about the scale of the building, because you know we were building in Chicago. We were building in, modernism was starting in Chicago, it was starting in New York, where it just filled out an entire block and you just extruded up from that. And, and the scale of the individual compartment that people are working in or living in didn't matter as much as, as the building itself, as a homogenous programmatic thing. So as people's identity and as you, as you as we become more concerned with identity and you know in terms of like what you do, who you are, what you wear, how you look, all these things, I think architecture has an opportunity now as Archie Graham pointed out 50 years ago to really start responding to that in maybe this pseudo digital physical way that that we haven't had before. You know, does it look more like clothing or like this backpack thing that sort of pops out and becomes part of the environment you're living in? These are all ways that they were exploring, exploring that idea. But maybe this idea of Sidewalk Labs District and these different models for retail businesses is, is how those things can really start being realized today. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's sort of a really long winded. <laughs> yeah. No, I got what you're saying. I think it's 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 absolutely fascinating, you know, as we kind of I'm starting to do this too a little bit like delve back into some of the architectural theories of the 60s, you know, and maybe 70s that how in a way forward thinking these people were or ahead of the time, ahead of their times they were and we've just kind of lost some of these ideas. Cuz I think you're absolutely right. It's it's so easy to pull back and look at something at the scale of the product and, and at the scale of the system and kind of forget about the individual within it, right, that we're actually designing for. I completely agree. Um, but I think what's interesting to me that I was thinking about as, as we were preparing for this topic is, is to kind of pull pull something from what, from what you just talked about and um, or at least build off of that and say, I think one thing that architects have neglected over the years uh, and, and we're really coming to see that now with these digital companies that hoard all this information is I think we underrate as architects how much information we really have, right? We've, we define these spaces for people all the time. And as an architecture firm, you have your sort of expertise and you build out, right? You're building out so many of these retail spaces. You're building out so many of these apartment buildings or these office spaces, right? You're building this expertise. And we, to a certain extent, do leverage that, right? We do say, hey, we've done this before. We've seen some trends in this. We know what the issues are with office design. But I think a lot of that is oftentimes issues with office design in construction or design, right? Uh, and I don't think we really think about it in terms of ability to hoard information or pull together information uh, until we look at something like WeWork, right? Where they, I mean, they have this unique a unique situation where they have architects and designers on staff, but they also are leasing out the spaces that they're designing, right? And, and architecture well, firms aren't doing that. What was that? They're also co-founded by an architect. Sorry to interrupt, but... No, it, it's 
yeah, they have this sort of architectural thinking on staff in what's usually more of a real estate world, right? Like it's they're taking over CBRE in a sense, or or Regis is the more direct example. But they're they're real estate lenders that also build out and then operate their own spaces. But they're really leveraging the information that they get out of these spaces in a way that I think architects have never done before. Um, where they're and right. in a certain extent, they're kind of they're the closest thing that architecture or the physical world has to a network effect, right? They're building up towards that. They have office spaces, they're building out schools, they're building out uh, fitness uh, fitness centers, they're building out uh, living residential centers or residential buildings. So yeah, I think to build off what you're talking about with Archigram and, and saying about how you're kind of modular, modularizing these certain pieces and plugging in the individual identities, they're really doing that and really learning yeah. about people with yep. information and because they have all this information they're able to leverage it and make even better experiences i think that's like that's super fascinating and and architects might have trouble competing with that in the future especially as uh bigger firms like microsoft even are going to WeWork and saying hey how about you run my office right yeah. and that's yeah i mean how does it make any sense to hire an architect who's just going to give you a design when you can hire someone basically who's going to give you architecture right and everything else yeah, they're giving you architecture and they're giving you a ridiculously good experience or, or by all means an experience <laughs> that's like optimized towards office experience as we've we are coming to know office experience it, like there's no there's no competition there no not yet not yet um, no, no. Like, there's no competing with that. Right. If you're an architecture firm, why would, unless Microsoft is set on doing their own operations or whatever big firm, you know, Procter and Gamble or some insurance firm or PNC or whoever wants to build something, I'm just kind of pulling out big firms out of my head right now. But unless they want to build and operate their own office, why not go to WeWork and have them operate some satellite office? You know, maybe it makes sense for an architecture firm to design their headquarters, but some 200 person office in some random city in the US? Do you just let right. me work doing that? You don't bother hiring an architect to do it. You just have someone on staff that, when, you, when you're working at that scale, it makes sense. Right. And when you're working with that much input, um, sure, you could have it go to someone else, but I mean, you're gonna save your overhead probably by right. doing it. Well, it, it seems like, uh, at least from what I've read, that WeWork is already has a lower build-out cost because they're building so much, right? So so they're already build it, buying lots of materials. They're already buying lots of furniture. So to build out another space, you know, they just buy it in bulk and they do it again. Um, yeah. so, so I think when we're talking about new business models, like this is so amazing that WeWork is doing this because they're essentially doing, at least in the field of office and, and slowly expanding into other fields, architects work in building out these tenant spaces, but they're doing it in a way that's leveraging new information or new models of working and providing experience that architects haven't done before. Yeah, and nobody's, most architect architecture blogs aren't gonna be publishing WeWork build-outs. No, but they're really nice spaces, at least from the yeah, pictures I've seen. I don't think that anyone's gonna say that it's a particularly bad space. So I think maybe there's a stigma associated with it, but in the architecture community, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a stigma to working for a product developer rather than 
a consulting firm, which is essentially what architects are, right? It'd be the equivalent of, I don't know, working for ESPN's uh, website team versus, um, I don't know, some UX design firm that contracts out to some firm that needs a website built for them. That's essentially what architects do. We're third-party people who get consulted out. So I, I thought that was really fascinating. The other thing I think that's kind of what makes that work I think architecture has sort of, for the longest time, there's been horizontal integration, right? We're, uh, we're taking interior designers on, we're taking urban planners on, we're taking um, landscape architects on in a certain extent, right? We're horizontally aggregating these design firms. And then to a certain extent, there's also vertical aggregation or vertical integration uh, in that we're bringing on, we're becoming architecture and engineering firms with construction management, right? Um, and then there are even some architecture firms where it's vertically integrated as architecture developer and they sell stuff off. But I don't think anyone's vertically integrated in the same, vertically and horizontally integrated in the same way that WeWork is. Because um, they've almost gone the opposite direction, right? Whereas architects try to go in vertical towards construction, it feels like WeWork is kind of going the other direction and being vertical towards ownership and operations. Yeah. Um, and then they're taking horizontal integration a step further and taking, instead of being architects, they're really a life experience firm that includes architects and illustrators and typologists and uh, psychologists and researchers, right? It's, it's really in brand strategists and all these people, they're really, they're integrating across different lines than I think is typical of an architecture firm. Um, and I think part of that is because they're so focused on experience versus architecture firms are so focused traditionally on building a building, right? Yeah. So that I think that explains why an architecture firm in the past would go towards construction management as their vertical inst- integration as opposed to ownership and operations. I think that really ties into my comment about the architect becoming, you, you have to become your own client. You're right. You have to, you as quote unquote architect, as, as someone that is really interesting and and making the physical environment awesome place to experience if, if that's if that's your goal then you have to do the work to get the money you have to bring the money together otherwise even that that allows you to be heavy-handed in this in the way that we work has about about their the designed experiences uh, as opposed to being at the whim of someone that's throwing a lot of money at you but they want a bunch of dormers or something on their project right you know and nothing wrong with dormers, but you know it, it doesn't necessarily need to be right. there. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that business model, I think, um, to the extent that that's going to be useful for a long time because companies are want to get, going to want to build buildings, right? Or they're going to want to build new buildings and hire architects. I think if you're an architect with any ambition, I don't know if that works. Well, maybe you have a separate part of your firm that still does yeah. that, and then you have the rest of your firm actively pursuing something else. I think there's always, not to like steal this train of thought, but I think there's always at least some use for a traditional architect in terms of someone's going to want to build something. And yeah. if everyone's owning and operating their own spaces, then no one's going to be able to build besides architects, which is kind of sad. There's always going to want to be that art- artist-patron kind of relationship, I guess. So some of the the first stuff we talked about is is the retail uh, world in terms of what Sidewalk Labs talked about and how people are operating in short-term leases and um, kind of spinning through these pop-up stores, right? But to a certain extent, that's not really a design business. It's 
it's kind of a landowner or a, a landlord and retail small retail relationship right so like how did, did you have any thoughts on how well, an architect might fit into that in terms of a business sense right because it's, it's just pop-up store within a space right but there was the notion there, there was at least one organization that was doing design on these on these businesses on I think, these stores and then I think at least it seemed like um, this lady Alana Branston with Bulletin um, that New York firm seemed like I remember her mentioning something about kind of creating themes for their spaces I don't know yeah. if she actually did the building out and I know Eric Ho with Miles has actual spaces within stores and has pop-ups within that but again i don't know how much that is actually built out beyond just kind of retail well i mean they, they have a glass storefront and some white walls yeah right <laughs> and, and, and as much as that's designed i guess but right well i think i think there's you can go to products and services on their page here and there's sort of there's different things i think that maybe you can uh you can use these different like booths and things that they have or have designed to put together. Right. Um, well, I mean, it's definitely worth talking about. It's it's a spatial thing, and and architects, to a certain extent, want you know we want to be part of the urban space. We want to be part of the physical experience. But I wonder how we could get get to be a part of that in terms of a business flow or business strategy to be a part of this retail stuff. Do we own and operate these spaces ourselves and kind of continuously build on them? Or is that just something we kind of leave to landlords and retailers to figure out and call us in later? Well, so the, I mean, Miles, let's talk about Miles. I don't know exactly how it works, but I mean, we'll talk about it and as me assuming how it works. All right, sounds like a plan. <laughs> so the typical the typical retail, you your business, your retail business, you find a storefront location and you sign however long of a lease that you have to sign, and then and then you contact an architect to build it out, right? Yep. So you know the question is what Miles sets up here is an interface of a bunch of different storefronts where you can kind of choose the base model that you want and you know i don't know if this is how it works but you know they are the person that has built out these spaces to the minimum possible amount and then you go you go to them as as a retail and be like i like this space um these are the things i'm also kind of need to add and is it possible that you could also design me this for it right uh, and so you're sort of becoming the craigslist of, of these retail spaces it's something that you've already invested in um and you know that they have a certain amount of value if, uh -huh. you know, i mean maybe it kind of wants to become the airbnb of retail yeah no i, I think that's fair i are we, are we suggesting that designers sort of run and operate these spaces they sort of operate or own these retail spaces and then they can kind of refill well, think, on demand well think about the possibility instead of instead of some, waiting for a client to come to you about designing a retail space you really love retail and you're going to design a lot of retail so you're going to own it all mm -hmm. you're going to own that retail and then you're going to have 15 properties and let's say you have a 50% turnover rate in the year, or you 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 have a 50% occupancy 
Um, and so you, you have you have a person in there for six months and then another person for six months. Right. So many different design environments <clears throat> within one year that, right. you, that you're kind of taking on. Right. And I guess if we're thinking about this in terms of how WeWork does it or how Sidewalk Labs might do it at an urban scale, you're gaining information about what works and what doesn't in terms of how a retail space is arranged or how a retail space... Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that does make sense. It, yeah. I guess it comes down to architects and or designers in general, spatial designers being willing to take on the risk of actually owning and operating something, which I think no, is... I definitely agree, and that's what that's every model that we're talking about. Right, right. You're... And that's, that's the biggest thing. It's like all these models that we're talking about where you have the ability to maybe start engaging these network effects... Or as if you own it, or right. if you're the if you're the manager or whatever. Right. You're you're not only building out a brand like WeWork is, you're also building up an information network, and a network of physical spaces that are well known and people know that they can go there. It's it's like the physical, well, I guess there already is a physical version of a platform, but it's sort of the physical version of a web platform in a sense. Right. Where you're you're inviting developers to come because you have this whole host of information that you can give them and make them successful. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Okay, so so one thing that was brought up in this Sidewalk Labs talk was that online stores don't often know how to have a physical presence anymore. Um, and, sure. and do we suggest that there's been this sort of, you know, in the same way that cities sort of lost people to the suburbs, right? There's sort of been this flow of, of um, people's Business. businesses from offline physical businesses to online because once again it's cheaper you know it's not government subsidized like suburban homes but it is it's much cheaper to operate a business online but now if there's an experience component and online retail is becoming ubiquitous just like physical retail was before how do you differentiate yourself to the masses do you go back to the physical world and create a, an authentic experience that fits your online brand so then do you say that you have these architects who have done 500 of these now and counting are able to focus in on this experience and help you do this which must with much more precision and rigor than in the past because they can leverage not only the space recognition of people walking by all the time and being curious about it but also the information of what works and what doesn't is that a question no it's just kind of a conversation oh well, I mean, the so you talk about how there is <clears throat> how there was this move from offline to online, but then when we also have those those online companies, those online natural companies that have moved offline in, in a way, or they right. moved into physical space. Right. You have to maybe there's a transfer back almost that's happening. Um, you know, just like urban spaces have become kind of hipster urban the cool places to live again and not the suburbs are retail stores going to become the cool place to live for the hipster business i i i kind of think so i think that this uh what we were talking about before with the idea of authenticity and maybe there's this realization of quote-unquote authentic environments physical physical places that that you can relate to as a person that's much more um that we're beginning to understand or re-understand the importance of, of those of those right. places. Well, it's, it's a shift towards experience over just this kind of acquisition of a product, right? Right. Right. Because yeah. it's, it's just become so easy to distribute a product or to create a product that now what what 
what's the extra benefit of having something? Now you have an experience to go along with it. Right, and that, and that experience, you know, it doesn't just have to be physical. You know, it's it can, um, as we said so many times before, it can be an integration of, of both the physical and digital right. inputs and environments. Right, it's more, it's just, it's the priorities, right? You're prioritizing an experience over a product. Um, which, okay, so, so here's another thought I had, and um, I completely forgot about this up until this conversation and I think it flows pretty well but so we kind of already talked about how as architects and environmental designers to a certain extent we've we've kind of missed the opportunity to aggregate all this information or collect this information about the spaces we've been creating and WeWork is doing that for us or showing us that it's possible to have this and some architecture firms are doing that right Gensler is doing that uh, SOM I think is doing a little bit of that Karen Timberlake you know, kind of does a little bit of research on their own spaces or other spaces, right? Um, yeah, yeah, with the roast, the personnel survey app, basically. Right, you're 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 kind of trying to to mine at, mine information out of the things you design, which you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, but another missed opportunity that I was thinking is branded spaces, right? Physical space for so long has played a key role in how things are branded and identities of companies <laughs> that. I'm kind of amazed that architects haven't more often picked up branding as another thing that they do, right? Because you would think that it would flow so well together, right? You have, you're building a building, you're picking the finishes, you're defining signage in some cases and wayfinding and in, in, in graphics, right? We have graphic designers on staff in some firms. Why have more firms not picked up just this sort of full on branding <coughs> thing right is it kind of a stigma in the in the profession that branding is kind of weird and we need to be purely about architecture um because you would think it fits so well hand in hand with the opportunities given uh to create a full-on experience or an authentic experience what do you when you say branding in architecture what like what media do you imagine well i think i think it just goes back to this experience thing again right because all these companies, they have an associated brand with them, right? Um, but oftentimes when it comes to picking an architecture to kind of make physical their, their themselves, it's sort of given to architects, right? This is our brand. This is what we want you to do. And then you do it. And then they'll kind of do some more stuff afterwards to make it even better. But why is that not something that's just sort of integrated with architecture, right? Because I think spaces play such a key role in how you know, someone experiences a brand, right? That's why you see all these restaurants that's, uh, kind of tricked out the same way or, or in some cases like Starbucks, you know, they have their own unique stores that are designed by various architects. But I think it's a missed opportunity since they're such closely linked, in my opinion. I think that architects do. Like, I think in the, in the case of U of I, our branding is like just brick buildings. Right, but we kind of leave the branding to just the architecture, right? But I think there could be a much better conversation to be had there. Similar to how we talk about WeWork and how they're creating full-blown experiences, is there a much more integrated experience? Okay, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I think, I mean, maybe part of that comes from client relationship too. Right, and it's, it's and expectations. No... Maybe, like in the case of a university, school has certain school colors. They don't necessarily want all of their spaces to be those school colors, right? Right. Um, right. And that's one form that the branding 
could take in terms of an architecture. Right, right. Uh, but I mean, so if, I asked, like, what media do you imagine that branding being? Like, in the case of retail, the branding and architecture is really closely related, I think. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's why, that's sort of why I bring it up. It's like, one or office design, too. It's like, maybe it's just, it goes along with this idea of building out an experience and nothing more needs to be said about it, but uh, it, it is a key point of what it's like to be a part of that company or to to be within that retail space is the branding and you know we just design the spaces and and kind of only touch the branding when we touch the space but why don't we kind of develop that full stack of inform of of stuff well maybe i mean maybe that's not maybe there isn't an excuse anymore because because now you branding as you talk about it it, it is becoming this thing that's really closely tied to the individual perception i think and and by extension experience yeah uh, given given the information that's available to us as designers um moving into like the next five ten years as you know places like amazon go become more popular um i don't think i don't think there will be much of an excuse anymore to not consider branding you know in, in every every aspect of the design but at the same time you have to ask yourself how much of a space wants to be branded right. um, how much of the experience wants to be about branding how much of the experience how much of the experience wants to be about the company telling you about itself and how much of the experience wants to be about the space responding to you right and i guess that's where i, I sort of don't draw as much of a distinction between architecture and branding um just because i think Branding could be as simple as we only want three three brand signs in the whole store, and the rest of the store is going to be built out in wood and black steel, right? Like that sure. could be your brand, right? And then maybe like two percent of that space is actually branded in the sense it has signage, um, but it has a personality that goes along with creating who that company is and who that space well, belongs to. Well, I think I don't know that I'm drawing a distinction between architecture and branding. I'm drawing a distinction between the perception of an experience versus what that experience is trying to tell you about where it's coming from. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So maybe there's really not much of a disagreement here as much as different wording, semantic disagreement. Yeah. yeah. I well, think that, I mean, that's, I think that's a reasonable question. It's like how, how important is it for a space to tell you about itself versus a space to respond to you? Yeah. Uh, no, that, that I think that'll be a big a big thing in the future. But I think if everything responds to you, then nothing's ever going to be different. Not everything can yeah. respond to who you are. You need to respond to who what it is. Otherwise, it's just going to be a monotonous experience because you are who you are. Right, right. I don't think everything should. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there is a a play there um, between the the context of a space which it's it's branded for a business or mm -hmm. you're interacting with a space with with other people that also have their own identities and brands yeah. and how how this environment responds to all of that and and how you get to interact with those different things um, I think becomes really exciting and significant uh, from a designing perspective it's someone that it's like do you get to decide how how these interactions happen and, and, and what the form is when when those interactions take place. Right. That's that's absolutely fascinating. And that exists 
you know, at a scale of infrastructure, and that exists at the scale of you're designing a product to be used in mass. Right. So we're kind of designing for one client and one product. Right. So we're kind of come full circle to this. Back to this yeah. we work in sidewalk labs thing. Um, which is good. I think That's what I was hoping to do. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> Okay, so that that gives us a good place to stop. Is there anything you want to add as a takeaway then to close out this episode? Uh, if you really, really want to do cool stuff in architecture, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Someone to pay you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come that's, up... that's, that's my takeaway. Right. So Come up can't... with uh, different ways of integrating businesses or what used to be different businesses into architecture. Yeah. And ratio where I'm working right now, like they just, they hire, they have a guy on staff that talks to developers and talks to clients and gets them to talk together and and gets our foot in the door at the same time and that's brilliant <laughs> yeah yeah no okay i think it'll be it'll be cool to follow and we should probably have another segment on we work especially or not we work well we work and sidewalk labs in the future to see where they end up uh, yeah it could just be in a dumpster somewhere <laughs> yeah maybe we're completely wrong about this but I, I like to think we're on to something with this kind of information and network effects and space and well, there's... It just sounds good. No, I, I mean, there's that, but there's also the notion that they were saying this 50 years ago, it's happening now, and there's a lot of people doing it. Yeah. And yeah. WeWork is worth, what, $20 billion or something? Right. From, like, four years ago when they started? Like, right, right. That's... No, that's true. Maybe they're on to something, not just because they're worth a lot, but because someone it's not 100% new it was sort of predicted so well uh hopefully everyone enjoyed this episode we'll be back again next week uh please rate us on itunes if you found this good bad not so good and you funny. know funny whatever if you, and please let us know what your thoughts are in the comments uh thanks take care till next time